It is Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023, and welcome to episode 185 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm Jessica Jones, NSI's Deputy Executive Director, and I'm joined by Les Munson, NSI's OG Senior Fellow. He's been requesting that title now for I don't know how many years. And our special guest, NSI Fellow Morgan Vigna. Since Jamil is out of the office, we did something a bit unusual and took some special requests. And I'm happy to grant the wish of OG Munson. And we'll be talking about a story that mixes elephants with oil. Among many energy projects going on on the African continent, today we're talking about a $10 billion oil project in Uganda, which has become another flashpoint in the global battle against climate change or about climate change. The battle will build 10 well pads inside Uganda's largest national park, which also where some of the world's largest remaining populations of giraffes, buffaloes, and lions live. A 900-mile pipeline from the Wildlife and Nature Reserve would also be constructed to transport the oil to the East African coast. Some estimates say that Uganda could earn as much as $2 billion a year in taxes and royalties from the 230,000 barrels a day fields and pipeline, which is quite the bump from the $4.5 billion the country currently collects in domestic taxes annually. There's outside pressure from Western nations to not move forward with the project due to environmental concerns, and the president of Uganda has said it is moving forward. This story is wrapped up, of course, in a larger dialogue that's happening and which has been partly covered here uh, at Fault Lines about the most recent COP conference and the, you know, the conversation about the global community's commitment to reducing the use of fossil fuels and what, if any, kind of support, either monetary or not, should be provided to nations who are forgoing their national resources to meet these global promises. Okay, so let's start with an easy one. What do we think of this issue? In this case, in particular, this project in Uganda, um, where the country is being pressured to forego its national resources, and these pressures are not coming, it seems, as much from the domestic side, but from external richer nations who have shown to date little dedication to their promises of foregoing fossil fuels. Les, you have hot takes, I know. Jones, thanks. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to depart from my usual kind of squishy, bipartisan uh, approach, a diplomatic approach to foreign policy issues and say uh, we have we have a big problem on this issue writ, writ large. And I'm, I'm talking about bigger than just this one particular project in one particular park in Uganda. But the efforts of the West to pressure developing countries to limit their resource development is it's wrong. It's crazy. It doesn't it's not going to have the impact anyone thinks it does. The idea that limiting uh, natural resource development in this one particular instance is going to have any impact on climate change at all is totally crazy. Uh, and, and, the, and the broader global effort to limit energy development in developing countries is counterproductive for us and for developing countries. It limits our ability to put Russia in a corner on its, uh, in its energy uh, kind of blackmail it uses in Eastern Europe and in Ukraine and elsewhere with, with Germany, for example. Uh, we should be developing these resources, that its, it's uh, impact on climate change is negligible. Frankly, we could do more to impact climate change by prohibiting Bitcoin mining. For those of you who don't know, the creation of Bitcoin involves massive computer servers operating 24-7 uh, around the globe to, to develop the, the technology and the, and the code and the software necessary to sustain the Bitcoin. Bitcoin itself, the, the data mining involved in that, uh, consumes more energy than the entire 
entire country of Argentina, which has 45 million people in it. So if we really wanted to impact global climate change, let's look inside. Let's uh, let's prohibit Bitcoin mining would be an interesting first step. Because I'm not sure what the value add of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is, is to, to humanity. Frankly, I think it's negligible. But that's that, that would be a better place to start than limiting developing countries' ability to promote and develop their own resources. So Les has just set the crypto bros on us. So we'll see what happens to our reviews and ratings. Thanks, Les. Um, Morgan? <laughs> you know, I am generally not one to side with Uganda's octogenarian autocratic <laughs> president. But, you know, Museveni does have a point when he told Western governments in no uncertain terms to back off on this issue. There is a state sovereignty case to be made here. Uganda has a right to develop its land and use its resources in the way it sees fit. You know, for some of the largest carbon emitters to condemn an attempt to block this project really does come across as incredibly hypocritical. And as Les mentioned, this one project, you know, negligible impact on, on, on climate change here. But I, I will say, you know, at the same time, you know, there are red flags with this project. You know, Museveni does not have the best track record in delivering what is in his countrymen's best interests. Um, the deal is being done in partnership with China, which has repeatedly demonstrated that it's more than happy to exploit African land, people, and resources. And, you know, I'd also just add that this is not just about saving elephants. There are significant internal displacement issues whereby the government is confiscating property and forcing Ugandans to relocate. You know, it's not clear whether they're being appropriately compensated for this either. And, you know, there are environmental impacts, which, you know, the Ugandan thriving ecosystem could be at play here um, and could have an impact on the Ugandan people themselves. So as you point out, Morgan, so this this energy project is being led by a French company, but with the Chinese company's support. But we do see a lot of talk of kind of the major banks that would typically finance such a project backing out, right, due to public criticism and the whole conversation on the environmental concerns. I mean, are we worried about what banks are going to take those place, what financing, you know, financial institutions that might not come from, you know, our typical players, our more friendly neighbors, what might come to play, you know, more of the Chinese, you know, China presence in Africa, if we step away from these deals? You know, the way I look at it is that, you know, there are nearly a billion people across the world that don't have access to electricity, even for the most basic things like water purification and lighting. There is a valid argument um, that climate change goals you know, are set largely by the rich developed countries to produce the most carbon. And they're actually exacerbating global inequities. And they do this by putting burdensome restrictions on developing countries. This includes the private sector, right? So, I think really the solution to this is, you know, by rich countries saying, you know, we're going to pay you to stay poor, right? You know, while continuing to fund development projects, which quite frankly only have a marginal impact um, in moving the needle, you know, in their country, in countries' economic progress. So I, I genuinely think this whole pay for lower carbon emissions doesn't hasn't really played out in the way that I think a lot of developed countries have anticipated. And you still see like a lot of different ideas on funding mechanisms, right? It, it, it's it lofty goals, but you haven't seen a lot of success. I do want to switch a little to a related topic with the Amazon, because what I think is really interesting there is the domestic politics, which you've touched on a little briefly in Uganda, Morgan, but the domestic politics and implications um, in, uh, for example, Brazil um, in the Amazon rainforest, where having one presidential president, Bolsonaro, versus another Lula can really change what are environmental policy and goals, which could impact, you know, this Uganda might be a small project, but the Amazon is the largest uh, rainforest in the world. That could actually have very large um, 
environmental implications. And that's, you know, domestic politics are driving what can impact the world. Les, you're, you're nodding your head there. What do you think about, is this, is this different than what's happening in Uganda, the way we think about Western responses to the Amazon? Yeah, I, I think we need to be a lot smarter on, on the Amazon and managing that resource and developing it. At the end of the day, Brazil's going to get to decide how it manages its natural resources. It needs to do so in a sustainable way, but that is still beneficial to its people. I think it's a lot more complicated than we're able to see through our kind of climate change dogma lens. And so I don't think the Bolsonaro administration was as bad as we thought. And I don't think uh, the Lula administration is as good as we think. I think there's 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 a big muddle in the middle that we need to be a lot smarter on before we pat, make a lot of judgments as outsiders. There's no doubt it's an important resource and the international community should be involved in helping Brazil develop it smartly. But we should we should really try to refrain from putting our own value system and our own Western perspective, uh, you know, northern perspective on what Brazil is doing. And so I, and I hate to sound like a multiculturalist, <laughs> but it's just going to be smarter. It's okay, and, Les, and more, you can you can sound like one on the show. That's I, evidently I can. Uh, but it's just a smarter and better long term approach, I think. Sorry, Fault Lines audience. We did not solve climate change and how to also bring progress and prosperity across the world. Um, but with that, that's a wrap. Thanks to Burke Agacon and our special guest, Morgan Vigna, both from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help um, in putting together today's episode. Join us again on Friday for another great episode of Fault Lines, our podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America. And if you like what you heard, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.